So uh, we're going to continue this morning with First Corinthians, or rather Second Corinthians, chapter four. And you know, as I go and I, I prepare these during the week, um, I, I, I find myself thinking of that phrase from that question from uh, chapter one: "Who is sufficient for these things?" And uh, feeling you feel so um, not sufficient to teach such great truths and wonderful scriptures. This is another one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I guess there's a reason why I picked First uh, and Second Corinthians to teach, and there's just so much here that I enjoy and that has been a help to me and a blessing in different times in life. So anyway, let's pitch into Second Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to, let's see now. Good. All right, that's showing like I want it to, so let's, I will read this now. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hmm. There we go. Whoops. Okay. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. <clears throat> Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this scripture and for these promises that you've given us, these truths of which you've reminded us. Thank you for the uh, certain and sure hope that we have uh, with you and through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray now that you'd bless us and help us as we look into your word and make it profitable to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, simple little outline uh, breakdown for this, not original with me, and uh, it seemed like everybody was kind of uh, breaking it down more or less along the same lines, although giving slightly different titles to the sections. So, uh, one, the light of the gospel, two, cast down but unconquered, and three, seeing the invisible. I should have put verse numbers with that, but we'll get them as we go along here. All right, going through the verses now. Verse one. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. <coughs> we do not faint, says the old King James. Do not lose heart. We don't quit. We don't get discouraged and give up. Our, our courage and strength and faith doesn't fail. It was God's mercy that Paul and his co-workers were called to minister for Christ. Um, did I get it? Yes, I did. Uh, you know, um, Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. And elsewhere he said, I'm less than any of the apostles. Less than any of the apostles because I persecuted the church. And he 
didn't seem to understand what he was doing. He thought he was doing it as service to God. He was zealous for the truth, and he was just barking up the wrong tree in a really bad way. And yet he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the least of the apostles because I did that back in the day. Sometimes I think maybe any of us who really thinks about uh, what we uh, are and, and all and you know, would, would feel that way. Maybe I'll just do my own testifying and just feel like the chief of sinners. I think of uh, the light and uh, truth that God has given me over the years and the advantages that I've had for serving the Lord. And it seems like the Lord has gotten a pretty poor return sometimes on the amount of truth and, and the blessings that he's invested in me. But um, you know, it is a mercy that God lets us do anything for him. Now, in this verse, as I think in a lot here in 2 Corinthians, where Paul's talking about himself, you know, sometimes he says I, and he's talking about himself, and sometimes he's talking about gospel workers generally, or at least his co-workers there who went around with him, like Silvanus or Silas, another form of the same name, uh, and then uh, Titus, who, who went down to Corinth to uh, bring Paul's uh, first letter to them, as first Corinthians to them, and to find out how they were getting on and how they received it. And then also um, Timothy, uh, you know, you think, well, this is about ministers, so it's not really about me. But remember also that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, be ye followers or imitators of me as I also am of Christ. So we're to imitate the Apostle Paul. And when you think about it, any, any of us has a ministry to somebody. Uh, have some ministry that we do. It might be that it might be our coworkers. If we uh, work in a job and, and we might be the only actual Christian that they know. And you think of what a person would think about Christians and about Christianity if he didn't actually know any Christians in our society. You think of how Christians are represented and how they come out looking society-wide and sometimes kind of cringe, um, whether it be through uh, enemies of Christianity, misrepresenting Christianity, which goes on in a big scale all the time. I don't watch much television because I don't have one, and uh, occasionally I'll stream a fragment of a football game or a baseball game, and, uh, and then sometimes I'll be traveling and I'll be in a motel and... Uh, Usually don't wind up watching much or if any television then, but um, used to when I was younger, growing up, and uh, over the years of what I've seen and what I've heard about, it seems like if Christianity is represented at all in in television or popular media, if if they, a Christian shows up at all, the Christian, you know, in secular media is always a hypocrite at best and, and maybe just a downright psychopath and always a terrible person. And um, you think of people that they don't have any, any clue to Christians but that. And then and there's that. That's how Christianity is represented by its enemies. And frankly, sometimes Christianity isn't represented all that well by, well, by the Christians publicly. Sometimes. And what if you're the only Christian somebody knows and you have to represent to them the idea of the love of God, that, that you love God and that, that for for Christ's sake, you love them too. Or, um, you know, what if you, you're just in touch with your family and you don't work a job outside the home, but, well, your ministry is to your family to encourage and exhort them and help them to go on for the Lord. And uh, I think even if you found yourself alone and there wasn't anybody else there, you can still pray. You can have a ministry of praying for people. Are we going to be able to pray for people when we get to heaven? I don't know. I have no idea if we will or not, nor if we'll know what's going on with them in this life. My dad believed that, no. Uh, when we're in heaven, we're not going to know uh, the things that are going on in this, uh, in this life until uh, we're all together around the throne, and then it'll be too late for that. So if that's true, why then uh, here on earth is the only time we can have a ministry of prayer for people and for our country and for a lot of things that need praying for. And there are a whole lot of things that need praying for today. So by God's mercy, we receive whatever ministry we have. And because that's true, and because he's shown mercy to us, 
then we shouldn't lose heart. We have a reason not to lose heart. Verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Shame here, or the hidden things of shame, means all secret practices which, when revealed, would cause shame. Unfortunately, not everyone who is seen as a leader of Christianity has necessarily done that. Now, one problem that I have, vis-a-vis some of you and not others, is that I've been around a while, I've been around the church a while, and seen a few things happen. I mean, I've seen, uh, on many occasions, I've seen the occurrence of an event that I was, I was straightly told would indicate the end of America as we know it. Somehow we're still here. God's mercies are great, aren't they? But um, there's that. But no, in this case, I mean Christian. Well, not I. I don't think Christians, but I think those who represented themselves as Christian leaders, who had not renounced the hidden things of shame, and then it came out, and that that has just been a pattern that has occurred a lot of times. Uh, where there would be hidden terrible sin. And, and we saw in recent times a university president, uh, I'm afraid not too surprising to those of us who had anything to do with that university. And uh, you think over the years of um, heads of big ministries, think of uh, a head of a, a big homeschool oriented and character building ministry. And, and there were some hidden things of shame that came out there. And there was Another guy was ahead of another big uh, sort of ministry that also ministered to homeschoolers, and there were some hidden things of shame that came out there, and that was sad, and what a disgrace that was. And Thank God for people like the Apostle Paul and his fellow workers who had renounced the hidden things of shame, and they weren't doing that stuff because there's nothing hid that's not going to be revealed, and, uh, you know, someday all sorts of things are going to be revealed, and we need to live our lives in such a way, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. And, you know, I, I wonder if overall in all of my teaching and all that I do here, if I ever tell anybody anything they don't know. Probably if I say anything you don't know, that was the mistakes that I made. The, the, things, the things I get right are the things you knew already, but it's good for us to be reminded, isn't it? And we all remind ourselves this all the time. Yes, this remember, remember self. Don't forget. Live your life so you wouldn't be ashamed at the whole thing uh, was uh, was put on TV or something like that. You know, here's uh, they did a big expose of Woodworth and put it all on TV. And well, it's uh, there's something to strive for. Not handling the word of God deceitfully, handling here or handling deceitfully actually um, is not handling deceitfully the word of God. And I think the old King James translators put handling deceitfully together because one verb in the Greek. Deluntes, uh, which I've probably mispronounced, uh, used only here in the New Testament. It means to adulterate for profit. Now, earlier we had a different word uh, in the, um, uh, it was chapter 2, I think, in an earlier chapter, we had a different word dealing with merchants in the marketplace who were known for adulterating their wares for profit. And so, hey, we're not like those merchants in the marketplace, you know the ones I mean, who, you know, you just know going down there, those, those uh, swindlers are, are adulterating your stuff. In this case, it's a verb and it's more specific. And it means specifically to adulterate something for profit. To adulterate is the, to take a valuable substance and then you mix in a, a cheap or, or valueless subject, uh, substance uh, that may also even be harmful and you sell it uh, as, you know, for full value. And so we are not uh, adulterating the word of God, he says, and um, not handling the word of God deceitfully. So mixing other stuff into it so that maybe we can please people more, so we can get them to donate more, so we can pocket more of their money, or get more of them to come, so we pocket their money, and you know the outlandish, outrageous things that have gone on and things that just make you just sigh and cringe and wince. And, um, you know, the, the guys that are getting rich off the, the gospel or the, 
the prosperity gospel. Oh, my. Um, anyway, yeah. So let's not be like that. Paul says we're not being like that. So let us be imitators of Paul in whatever ministry the Lord gives us, whether it's being all alone and shut in and praying for people or all the way up to whoever God gives us to try to lead, teach, or influence. Let's also be like Paul. Let's renounce the hidden things of shame. So if all the secret stuff in our life were revealed, it wouldn't be a matter of shame for us. And then let's make sure that we handle the word of God truthfully and we don't mix it with false stuff uh, to, uh, to gain um, profit for ourselves or, or just to come out better or to get by or to avoid being condemned by people. A uh, friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, uh, a decade older, he said, you wait and see over the next uh, few years, we're going to see most Christian colleges, he said, or a lot, I forget exactly, but a lot of Christian colleges are going to discover that lo and behold, the word of God does allow for homosexuality and things like that. Um, of course, it doesn't. But, um, you know, in order to avoid perhaps some persecution, uh, he thought that they would give in. And he is probably right in many cases. I, I hope not too many. I, I hate to think that it would be that bad. But anyway, it says, but uh, by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So he says, well, we're speaking the truth as it is in God's word, and, and by doing that, we are you know, challenging everyone's conscience. Hey, everyone, think. Think about what we're saying. You know this is true, don't you? And so uh, that should tell you that we're being truthful. Okay, verse 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds the God of this age is blinded, you do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he says, you know, we're manifesting the truth. We're not, we're not trying to hide the gospel. And in the end of verse chapter 3, he talked about, he, we with unveiled uh, face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But uh, he says, but now you might say, but, but yeah, not everyone does see the truth of the gospel. Not everyone does recognize the truth in Christ Jesus. No, they don't. And who are the ones they don't? Well, those, those are the ones to whom it's still veiled. Just like, you know, God's glory in the face of Moses was veiled to the children of Israel. Well, there are people today who just don't see it. And they don't see it because they're perishing. They're on their way to hell. And why would they be on their way to hell? Well, because they don't believe. And they don't believe, and the God of this world has blinded them. Now, does that mean that Satan can just go around and blind anybody that he wants so they, don't, they won't be able to see the truth in the, in the scriptures? No, I don't believe that at all. Um, I believe that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, and teaching us that denying uh, ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And I believe that uh, it's, they don't want to believe they reject and they turn away in their hearts. And then Satan is able to blind them from seeing. Not that they never could see again, I, I assume, I trust, but that uh, as long as they are unwilling to accept, as long as they're rejecting, uh, they, Satan's going to blind them. I think of one uh, uh, great Christian of the 20th century who talked about his B.C. days, you know, before Christ. And when he was in sin, and uh, he, he didn't like that interfering Christian God. What he didn't like about the Christian God was the Christian God said he should, told him how he should live his life. There are some things he shouldn't do, and he wanted to do those things. There are some things that God said you need to do, and he didn't want to do those things. And that's for a long time what kept him away, because he just didn't want to obey God, didn't want to bow his knee to God. And these are the ones who are, are blinded by the God of this, this age. Um, Satan's power is all in this age. Well, praise the Lord for that. It's not very nice right now. Well, Satan still has some, some power to deceive and to mislead many. But it's good to know in the age to come, Satan will be bound. He won't have any power anymore. He'll be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And we won't be bothered by him anymore or by any of his imps 
uh, any of his angels, we won't be bothered by him or them anymore. So um, if, if people will turn to Christ, they will, they will see truth. Okay, moving on then to verse 5. See if I had anything else to say on verse 3 and 4? I didn't. Okay, here we go. So verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Obvious truth, if a teacher is going to have anything to say that will be of any spiritual value, it will be of the Lord Jesus and from his word. Well, I might lighten up the presentation with a joke. That's not likely to have any spiritual uh, value. Uh, uh, and that's not what you came here for. Matter of fact, if you, um, you, know, if you came here today to, um, to hear the wit and wisdom of Steve Woodworth, I suspect you all could have found something better to do with your Sunday morning. And uh, now looking from the state of the pews here, I expect most folks thought that was all they were going to hear. <laughs> and uh, they, they were well advised in that case not to come and hope that there's some of the scriptures in here. That will be valuable. And you know, when you think of a sermon and you think, that was a good sermon, or you think of a, a Bible study, Bible lesson, that was good. Boy, that really blessed me. That really helped me. And and you think about why did that really help me and really bless me? Well, because it, it, it gave God's word and pointed to God's word and, ex, and gave the meaning of it and, and applied it. And so here's God's word, and here's what it means, and here's how it applies to my life, and that's where the value is. And that's, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. We should be servants to others for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Of course, we all know this. Again, reminders of the stuff that we already know. Jesus, of course, gave us the example of this on the night in which he was betrayed. Um, when he, uh, he uh, took the towel and he went around and he washed, uh, he washed his disciples' feet. And uh, he said that if he's given us the example of being a servant, we should also be a servant for him. Okay, so um, verse 6. Got to keep moving here. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, did I not go forward? Well, I click it about three times and it doesn't go and then it goes three squares. But anyway, this time it was good. Okay, so God in the beginning created light. God said, let there be light and there was light. And uh, made that light shine out into the universe. And uh, notice he created light four days before he created the sun. The sun is not the only possible light source. God's not limited by that. Um, God brought uh, spiritual light uh, into the world. Well, I guess you could say at various times as he gave his word in the Old Testament, especially as he sent the Lord Jesus into the world. Uh, you know, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So that, he was the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So God sent light into the world there. And he brings spiritual illumination into the hearts of his people so they can share it with others. God, uh, who, sh who made the light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right. Got it. Uh, yes, we're good. I've got a small image right there. Okay. But we have this treasure, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the, the, excellence of the power, I still want to say excellency, of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure, of course, is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This treasure that God has made the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shine in our hearts. Praise the Lord. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, earthen vessels were the most humble of containers back then. And it's not, it's not vessels of gold or vessels of silver. It's not even nice antique uh, heirloom pewter vessels. Nope. It's not even stainless steel. It's... Uh, these humble earthen vessels. Now today, uh, pottery can, you know, glaze pottery, stoneware, and various, it can be quite nice and quite uh, special things. But back then, 
there were various grades of earthen vessels, and because they didn't have some of the materials that we do, the cheap grade of earthen vessels, which is undoubtedly what he's talking about here, was really the closest thing they had to disposable. And sometimes it was almost used as though disposable. It was just a cheap clay pot. And uh, so for us, it would be almost like saying, we, we have this treasure in a 32-ounce styrofoam cup. And I always thought about bringing something like that today. And it's like, yeah, we have this treasure in a styrofoam cup. I, have no mean, I don't mean to be uh, sacrilegious at all, but the styrofoam cup is, is a little more uptown and spiffy than the earthen vessels. It's just the humblest possible container. That's us. And why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not supposed to be how great we are. It's how great God is. I've said it before, and I, I often think this, that the church doesn't need more great men. Uh, understood, it depends the sense in which we might understand great men. Now, we, we do want to be, all of us, great men and women for God, in the sense of you know, being greatly for God and totally sold out to him and serving him faithfully all of our life. But I mean the great, big, high-profile Christian leader. Uh, the national reputation Christian leader. And that's not to say that everybody who has or ever has had maybe a high degree of visibility and and high profile is is a bad person. I don't mean to say that. I don't mean to cast stones. But I often think that that's not the main thing that we need, not the thing that we need to seek after. It's the faithful people doing what they do. In the local church, Faithful elders serving God uh, who, you know, and it, it doesn't matter if we have uh, what, nine, ten, ten people in here. Fine. Ten people and the Lord. That's fine. Um, that's more than two or three, so we're doing well. Uh, or, or however it is, or, or if we have a thousand, praise the Lord for that, or, or whatever. And... Um, my dad never had a thousand. We, we thought we were doing good for one period. Uh, I remember one church my dad was pastoring, and we actually got a little over a hundred some Sundays. And we, we, were, we thought we were in tall cotton then. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the humble, and, and not just elders, but whether, you know, whoever it is in the local church, uh, or, lo, you know, Christians, doing the thing God wants them to do and being faithful at it and, and being all in for God. Humble as can be, uh, humble as a styrofoam cup or a, a clay pot, the cheap kind, but the excellence of the power is of God, not of us. All right, now we move on. Uh, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Uh, this is the first half of this uh, familiar uh, two-verse section. The... Um, the words here I found in the New King James are a little more uh, similar or ring a little more uh, like the um, literal uh, Greek than, than the Old King James, although the Old King James is, is nothing wrong with it. The, the Greek terms um, are, are, or at least have concrete roots. They have roots to concrete things, but I think that they are uh, figurative in a sense. In other words, I think for the most part, uh, I could be wrong, but I think he's not, he, he's referring about struggles, the struggles of the soul, you know, as uh, that the song, uh, uh, Spirit of God Descend Upon My Heart says, uh, teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. And I think that's primarily what is aimed at here. Uh, you'll understand more of what I'm trying to say with this as I go on through it. Now, I was going to talk a lot about the Greek words. They, the commentator said there's a play on words in the Greek words. It's, you know, A but not B, C but not D, E but not F. And the words in these pairs are related to each other. So there's a play on words in the Greek that you can't really reproduce exactly in the English, not without a lot of other words to explain. I thought if I'm going to tell you about Greek words, I may as well put them up there. So there they are. There, there they are. So... We are hard-pressed on every side, hard-pressed, phlebomenoi, phlebomenoi. I know that's not a word that you use in your everyday speech. It means uh, uh, crowded, squeezed, pressed, crunched, um, 
constricted. So we're squeezed on every side. But not uh, crushed, which is uh, a pretty literal translation of stena, uh, stenako ruminoi. Stenako ruminoi. Another word we don't use every day, I suppose. Now, it reminds me of a time when I was in Australia, I was in Melbourne, and uh, was riding a streetcar there. And, uh, and it was crowded. In fact, it reminded me of a, a crazy Weird Al song, but I'm not going to go into that today. <laughs> we're we're going to keep it to hymns, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs today. Weird Al is right out. But riding on that streetcar did make me think about riding on a very, very crowded bus on a city street. It was crowded. All the seats were full. My friend and I were standing in the aisles as everyone else was and were hanging on to the straps that were up there. And we came up to a, a stop and at the stop there was quite a crowd of people waiting to get on. I thought, they're going to be out of luck. They're going to have to wait for the next streetcar because this one is full. It's not just flow, full. It's phlebominoi. I didn't exactly think of it in those terms, but it was phlebominoi. It, we were squeezed in there, or a little bit anyway. Uh, we were full anyway, and a lot of the people at that stop were Asians because um, there, were, there were a lot of Asians in Australia, because there were a lot of Asians in some parts of the United States, but maybe even more in Australia. And so they start to get on, and it's like, this is crazy. They can't fit on here. And uh, we're just, oh, and they're squeezing in between and pushing us back, and somebody yells, there's no room. And uh, a voice comes from the people coming in, getting into the bus. It's a plenty of room. It kind of sounded that way. I can't do that good of imitations, but they, I guess by their, their Asian standards, so whatever Asian country they came from, there's plenty of room in there. I mean, you can press those people. You can still get, I mean, look, there's air in your lungs. You're not phlebominoi enough. At least you're not stenocorumanoi. Um, really crushed. So more people got in, and lo and behold, they all did fit. I guess there was plenty of room, and the great thing was after that, there was no way we could have fallen over. There weren't enough straps to hang on to, but where are you going to fall? Anyway, you're just wedged. So we were, uh, we were phlebominoi. I don't know if it would have spoke to them more if we said, hey, no, we're phlebominoi in here. But uh, phlebominoi, but not stenocoruminoi. Well, so uh, crushed, but not cramped. So, of course, you can see the word picture here. Now, if this is talking about the struggles of the soul, phlebominoi, squeezed on every side. We're pressed in. We're squeezed on every side. Sometimes, do you ever feel that way, where life is just kind of squeezing in on you, crunching in on you? It's just on all sides. If it's not one thing, it's another. Maybe you're in bad health. Maybe your family, you've got a family member in bad health. Maybe both, uh, and that's crushing on you. Maybe the finances aren't looking the greatest, and things just aren't going right at work, and, and your boss isn't happy with you, and, and uh, maybe there's problems at the church. Have you ever been in a church that uh, had problems? Have you ever been in a church that did not have problems? wondered if there's anyone who's already been to the millennium yet. Um, we're not in the millennium yet, so all churches have problems. And all families have problems, too, because there's people in them. But, um, you know, and you've got all these problems, and it just seems like this is just crushing in on me on every side. And uh, you have that feeling, you just feel squeezed, and just, just, what am I going to do? And uh, Paul says, you know, we were hard, we're hard-pressed on every side. Yeah, yeah, the the problems of this world do uh, the, the trials of life may surround like a cloud and, and not just surround but, but squeeze and press in but we're not cramped we're not constricted we're not crushed uh, we're okay because God's with us so it's the, and the, the, um, all of these pairs is like the outward circumstances this which, which produces certain feelings in me, and yet my response is that in my soul, I'm not crushed, I'm not destroyed, I'm not, got, I'm not killed in my soul. Uh, I'm okay because the Lord's with me and the Lord is helping me and he's giving me grace. 
So we're phlebominoi, but we're not stenocoruminoi. And then we're perplexed. We're apo, apo, we'll get it right here, aporuminoi. We're aporuminoi. From a, not, and poros, a passage, thus unable to find a way out. And sometimes we feel like that in life, too. And there's, there's, no, there's no escape. There's no way out. There's, there's no trap. What am I going to do about this? I don't have any solutions. I'm right out of ideas. You know, you say in, in airplanes, uh, uh, airplanes out of ideas and out of altitude is a bad way to be in an airplane. And uh, sometimes you just feel like there's no way out. There, but he said, we're not in despair. And the Greek is ex apoporuminoi. Utterly aporuminoi. Aporuminoi, meaning, you know, it's just an, it's a, a, a progression. It's a, more so to the uttermost degree. Yeah, we can't find a way out. Sometimes we feel like we can't f- find a way out, but you know, ultimately, we're not really where we can't find a way out. Ultimately, there is a way of escape from temptations and from trials. And we don't have to do the wrong thing, and we don't have to give up, and we don't have to quit. We don't have to get discouraged and give up on the Christian life and say, oh, I can't do this anymore. We don't have to. Uh, there is a way through, and the Lord will make a way for us. So sometimes it may seem like there's not a way out, but there is still a way. We're perplexed sometimes. We don't know which way to go or find a way out, but we're not in despair. We don't have to give up. On to verse 9. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Persecuted. Dio kominoi. Dio kominoi. Pursued. Chased, hunted, um, and um, persecuted. Kind of goes with that. So not a bad translation at all. Welcome. Plenty of good seats available. Uh, so, um, yeah, we're persecuted. Diokominoi, diokominoi, uh, uh, chased. And again, uh, I think it may be literally because we find out Paul had a lot of things happen to him in life, and so it could have been. You know, the Jews are chasing him through Ephesus with, with rods or clubs or whips, or I don't know. It doesn't really say that he was running and anybody was chasing him any time in the book of Acts, and it doesn't really sound like the Apostle Paul. So I think more a matter of, of uh, in, in the soul, in the spirit. You know, sometimes we just feel like the world is chasing us, hunting us, tracking us down, pursuing us, and, and again, that, that feeling of uh, hopelessness and despair, uh, we're persecuted, or the feeling of being persecuted. We haven't known much of persecution in this country yet. We've had it awfully good, really, these 250 years or so in this country, and really even before independence, so we could say 300 easily years on these shores. Christians have had it awfully good and better than most Christians in most places at most times since the Lord came back. And Now, you know, we're in a situation where maybe there are certain jobs that it's, it's going to be difficult, very difficult probably for Christians to work as photographers or bakers or um, what else? Um, um, yeah, probably, well, it's hard, honestly, it's hard for a, a Christian to get a job teaching at a secular university, extremely hard. Um, I don't know what in the world the guys in the history department at TCU were thinking when uh, 23 years ago when they voted let me in. I think uh, those of them that are still alive, uh, they are wondering the same thing. What were we thinking when we let Woodworth in? But, um, uh, you know, and other jobs too, that it's going to be tough. But on the whole, so far... We're not being chased around and, and pursued, but Christians often have been. He says, so we're, we're, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Forsaken there is ekata, ekata lepomenoi, ekata lepomenoi, left in the lurch, left, abandoned to our fate. You know, and, and that's a terrible thought there of where you're up against powers that you can't contend against 
and, and you're counting on someone to get you out of this or get you through, and then you, you might feel like, oh, the person that I was counting on to get me out has left already. You know, the, the cavalry's not coming, or uh, the helicopters, uh, the evacuation helicopters aren't coming in. Oh, boy. And that, that would be discouraging. But that's not our case with the Lord. The Lord hasn't uh, let us down. The Lord hasn't left us in the lurch or abandoned us to our fate, and he's not going to. He never has failed me yet, the old uh, gospel song, kind of song of testimony says. And uh, I have proven him true what he says he will do. He never has failed me yet. And uh, we like to add to that, well, and he's not going to fail me either. Well, I have that faith for the future, but regarding what I've experienced already, I can testify in all the ways that I've been. As I've traveled the path race so rough and so steep, he never has failed me yet. And then, so the other pair there, struck down but not destroyed, and, and again, pretty good, uh, pretty good, fairly literal uh, translation here in the New King James, katabalaminoi, katabalaminoi. Uh, lots of Greek today. Hmm. Well, you can't say this class is not educational in some way. Uh, struck down. So literally struck down or thrown down, cast down. So even if, even if whoever's chasing you catches up with you and knocks you down or throws you on the ground or whatever, but not apoluminoi. Does it sometimes seem like uh, the devil uh, gets the upper hand of us and chases us and just is giving us an awful hard time? Now, I know I've heard, uh, I've heard more than one preacher say, my dad was one of the several that I've said, is sometimes people say, uh, the devil's giving me a hard time. And uh, the preacher said, no, you did that to your own self. <laughs> and it is true. Sometimes we say the devil's giving us a bad time. And we just did something foolish and, and we're suffering the consequences for it. But, you know, sometimes the devil uh, or, or his forces or whatever, uh, the trials that we face in this life, uh, whether uh, we... we personify it as an action of the devil or just the difficulties, hardships, and sufferings of this life just seem to catch up with us and knock us down. And we feel like we're down for the count. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to be destroyed. We don't have to be down for the count. We might be like the boxer that gets knocked down, but we'll get back right back up. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. If I fall, I shall arise. If I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Well, you know, I think I may not get through chapter 4 today. That's okay. I'll come back to it next week. But we can go on a little further today. So onwards to verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always... Did I get... Yes, good. I'm on the right slide. Always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the death, per se, but the dying, the slaying, the being killed. Uh, to be, I guess, literal, as the, the Greek scholars tell me in English, which I can read, unlike Greek. Uh, but, hey, the next time people are crowding on the bus, blabamanoi, uh, you've got that. See, so don't say you didn't learn anything today that you can take with you. See, pastor teaches you Chinese words, and... Uh, <laughs> I, the difference is he can actually pronounce the Chinese words correctly. I make no warranty for my pronunciation of Greek words. Um, but the same spirit of hostility to good that put Jesus to death is still at work in the world, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. And against our Lord's servants. The Lord told us the servant is not better than his master. If, they've, if they loved and received him and accepted him, They'll do the same for us. Most of them didn't. And most folks won't about us either. We can't really expect. And, and, you know, a lot of times we haven't had it yet in this country near as bad. Anything close, anything remotely like what the Lord Jesus had. But uh, we've had it pretty good. But if we do have it bad, if it should come to where we're uh, suffering like the Apostle Paul did, or something like that, or along that direction, well, no, the servant's not better than his master. And we, uh, Paul and his co-workers, were bodily constantly subject to the prospect of uh, being put to death, a a violent death. Now, I mean, not crucifixion. Paul, being a Roman citizen, could not be crucified legally within the Roman Empire. And and they stuck to the laws that 
that much. And he wasn't, to, to the best of our knowledge, was not crucified. Others who were not Roman citizens could be. We think that Peter was crucified. Maybe some others, too. Uh, we don't have that from Scripture, but tradition handed down to us suggests that that was the case, so take it for what it's worth. But, but no, not necessarily persecution, but violent, nasty death. And all the things that were done to Paul, you know, stoned and left for dead, beaten with rods, and, and uh, you know, there at Ephesus, uh, it, it apparently looked like he wasn't going to get out of that scrape alive. And that it was more than once that that kind of thing happened. And the daily prospect of violent death was something they carried around with them. And we need to remember that that, uh, you know, we need to be ready for that too. Not that we expect it, not that I hope for it today. Uh, I'm not, you know, uh, hoping to... Uh, to suffer a violent death today. But if that should be our lot, we need to be ready for it and prepared that, that we are, are carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Prepared, if need be, to suffer even violent death if it's necessary for his sake. And yet in all this, the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus was all the more manifest in them. Now, how can this be? That almost seem like the more they're under persecution and the more they're hunted and the more they are subject to the prospect of possible violent death at any given day, the more that the resurrection life of Jesus shows through him. But isn't that the way it is? You know, if, um, if everything is going our way, we're in good health and so is our family. Things are fantastic at home. We have a nice house, a nice car or two, even a nice dog. We live in a nice neighborhood, and, uh, and, and things are, if you're a cat person, then a nice cat. Uh, is there such a thing? Sorry, I'm a dog person, <laughs> insofar as I'm anything. But uh, you have nice pets that you like. If you're a cat person, it's probably three or four, eight cats, whatever. But things are going well in your life. You've got a great job that's fulfilling. You love to get up and go to work every day. And your boss, you have to talk him out of giving you raises every six months just because you enjoy the work so much. <clears throat> I'm being ridiculous. But this is not anyone's lot in life, but say it was or anything closely approaching it. And you're happy. And you say, I'm so happy in Jesus. And, you know, and I, well, good, I hope you are. And you know, human beings could contrive to be unhappy even in the midst of that. You know they could. You know, everything's going their way. And they could still be discontent and unhappy. They could do it. We could do it if we let ourselves. But if the world around us sees us in that circumstance and we're super happy like that, well, they're probably not going to be all that, that impressed. As Satan said to God, does Job serve God in vain? Look, he's got everything going his way. Everything's great in his life. No wonder he's happy. No wonder he's faithful to God. And they could say that of us, couldn't they? Uh, might not be true, but they could say it. And they wouldn't be, they're not likely to notice very much if we're going along serving God and happy, but everything's great in our life. And you know what? Sometimes God blesses us almost that well anyway, or maybe absolutely that well. And, and more often, God blesses us with happy contentment in the midst of whatever he is giving us and whatever circumstances he has given us. Maybe they're not everything that we would have chosen, but the Lord blesses us with contentment. And we say, praise the Lord, I'm happy with what the Lord gave me. And sometimes we have to suffer. And when Christians are suffering, but they're still happy and rejoicing and content and, and rejoicing in the Lord Jesus, then the world will sit up and take notice. I remember a couple that we knew when I was teaching at Tocoa Falls College, and this is now, lo, these many years ago, about 30 years ago, Wendell and Marianne. And they had a couple of uh, young children, and one was terribly, terribly handicapped. Um, wow. Uh, just, oh my, it was a struggle all the time. Had to be spoon-fed, with no prospect of, of it was six, maybe six, four or five, six years old, something like that. I don't remember. And, uh, uh, no prospect of ever uh, being better and, uh, or, or speaking or being able to understand or being able to walk or get up out of the special, a special stroller chair that they had for this child as, I don't know, uh, 
I don't think the child was full size for age. And it was just, that was rough. And, and, and Wendell and Mary Ann Wendell was working a job and going to school full time to Bible college to be a preacher. And, uh, and, and they lived in a used mobile home in Trailerville. And, uh, well, you know, life was, as I saw it, well, that must be pretty hard. And yet Wendell was just the most cheerful, happy guy. He was just the epitome of rejoicing in the Lord and happy all the time. And, and Marianne was, too, and there's a more quiet version of the same. And that made an impression on me. And it wasn't, uh, I don't think I ever heard Wendell preach a sermon. Uh, he was a student there the whole time that I knew him. And, uh, you know, but the, he was an encouragement to me. And I'll bet he made an impression on his coworkers, the job he had in town there, because despite a lot of hard things in life, he was still joyful in the midst of it. And when we can be joyful and the world sees, well, things aren't necessarily all going their way, but they're still happy in the Lord Jesus. There must be something to this Christianity business. There must be something to this business of serving the Lord. If it can make folk happy that are in those circumstances. And so I remembered Wendell Full. And I uh, look forward to talking to him when we get to heaven. And aren't we going to be happy then? Uh, it'll be nothing to what we are now. So, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to cover the last uh, six or uh, seven verses of chapter four, and we come back next week. So, thank you for your attention. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word and its encouragement to us, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, your grace working in our hearts to help us to uh, serve you, and we thank you for the mercy that you've shown to us. Help us now to uh, be faithful to you, to walk faithfully with you, and to show forth the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus in our lives each day. Help us now in the service to follow. Bless your servant and give him uh, the words to speak, and uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and obey all that you would say to us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.